pretty much all I do is teach and code. I, I get to use my own site as a little bit of a playground to learn things on. My initial career trajectory, I felt like I was going to become a motion graphics editor. Like that's what I wanted to do. I realized I needed to really change the type of value I'm providing. And I've just gotten really good at producing a tutorial series every single month. I really honed the craft of creating content. A lot of recording, pretty much 24-7 recording. Hey, this is Brian, and you're listening to Jamstack Radio, a bi-weekly series where we discuss the Jamstack, a new way of building websites and apps that are fast, secure, and simple to work with. Jamstack Radio is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. Welcome to another installment of Jamstack Radio. On the line, we got Scott Talinsky. Hey, Scott. Hey, how's it going? Welcome. So yeah, this is a long time coming. I've wanted you on for a while, and I, I think we might have even chatted about it maybe in the past. But regardless, you're here today to talk about Svelte and specifically Sapper, which I didn't even know existed until I saw, I think, Chris Biscardi's tweet on Sapper. Yeah. And that was that was my introduction. So do you want to give us a... Well, why don't you give us an introduction on you first, sure. in case people don't know who you are. Yeah. And by the way, we did talk about recording an episode at the Jamstack Conf like two years ago, and we were going to do it there. And then I think I just got pulled away and it just didn't work. Yeah. So my name is Scott Talinsky. I'm a developer. I live in Denver. I created Level Up Tutorials, which is a originally started out as a YouTube channel just of like free tutorials. And then like 2,000 some video tutorials later, it's now my full-time business. All I do is create video tutorials pretty much, uh, as well as host a, another podcast, Syntax, at syntax.fm with Wes Boss. So that's pretty much all I do is uh, teach web development and code myself. So leveluptutorials.com has been my project. You know, I've built it myself from the ground up and it's a full stack React project that I absolutely adore working on. So that's pretty much all I do is teach and encode. I, I get to use my own site as a little bit of a playground to learn things on and then uh, just uh, grind it out. Nice. Yeah, and I, I remember, I might have remember when the Level Up tutorials first came out because I remember uh, distinctively you always had a hat and glasses on yeah. um, for most of the videos. <laughs> yeah, it must have been like back in the day. Currently wearing a hat and glasses. So yes, yes, you are. Yes, for listeners, we're actually both wearing hat and glasses. So. Yes. Fun fact. But I'm curious, actually, that transition from YouTube, because I didn't even realize that most of your content was on your own site until yeah. probably like earlier this year. Because mm-hmm. I, yeah, I sort, of, I sort of fell off on watching the videos on YouTube. And then when I went back, because I think I, you had linked something from Twitter, and I was like, oh, I want to learn about that. And then like, I don't know, do you use YouTube to tease and then take it to the, uh, the website? Sort of. And that's sort of how I've been doing it for a little while now. I think for about... Let's see. I started making the transition into doing this outside of YouTube in like 2015, 2016. But it wasn't like I didn't fall on dive in. It was like kind of half in the, the water, starting to get my feet wet with a little bit of like subscription based pricing model stuff. And then I realized I needed to really change the type of value I'm providing. And I basically just dropped YouTube as a a full on medium other than like, I don't want to say like promotion. Like I'm, I still drop like, a lot of tutorial content on YouTube, but I have changed it up a little bit in terms of like how I do my tutorials because it was a lot of fast and loose tutorials on YouTube before, and now it's a lot higher production, a lot more planned out. My subscription model is that I release one video tutorial series a month, sort of like a magazine, and those tutorial series are like 25 videos long. So I really honed the craft of like 
creating content. And I, I have an endless amount of tutorial like outlines that I've done for series. And and I, I've just gotten really good at producing a tutorial series every single month. And like that's what I do now. And they're exclusively available via the subscription. And then I'll do additional videos for free on YouTube whenever I can make it happen. Outside of doing, you know, 24 videos on the the other platform. So a lot of recording, pretty much 24-7 recording. Wow. Can you explain Sapper and as well as we actually had uh, Swix on talking about cool. Spelt. Yeah. Uh, so he gave us a good intro and sort of like, I forgot the distinction that he made, but it was very good. It was like basically the difference between like websites and web apps. And like he would do something like a Next or a Gatsby for like a web app. And if he wanted to make like a website, he would reach for Spelt. Is that a good distinction? Yeah. I think I think Spelt can be definitely used for web apps in any sort of capacity as well. But as far as like Sapper goes, you could really think about like Sapper as being the analogous, like as Next.js is to React, Sapper is to Svelte. Gotcha. So Sapper is the server-side platform with folder-based routing and API routes and all of those things that you get typically in something like Next.js. Gotcha. Okay, yeah. So it's just uh, batteries included. Is that the the term? Yeah, or, yeah. Or it's like maybe one of two batteries. One of like, two batteries. Is it full full on? Everything but the database, really. Oh, interesting. And then I'm I'm curious though, because uh, again, I have not heard of Sapper until that tweet, probably roughly like a month ago. So is this powered by the Svelte team? Because I, I noticed the the Svelte dev URL. Yeah. So it was originally written by Rich Harris, and um, I know he's he took some time off. He's coming back to Svelte and Sapper. They announced that they're going to be doing some big updates to Sapper um, to sort of bring it even further far forward, which is pretty amazing because, to be honest, it's already very full-featured. Like, you know, you think about something like Next.js, which, like, just got static site generation, and Sapper's had static site generation. In fact, my personal website is done with Sapper with static site generation, and it's very fast. Is this uh, like scotttolinsky.com or something yeah. similar? Yeah, okay. and I, it's funny, I, I like to use all, all of my my web like locations that I, I create things as, as playgrounds, really. Because, you know, I'm a, a child of the MySpace generation where we learned web development by hacking CSS on MySpace. So for me, a website or, or a personal site or any of these things shouldn't necessarily be this like polished, beautiful landscape of you know everything you have to offer, but it, it's a playground for me. So my my scottolinsky.com is certainly a playground. I, I did it fast and loose. And it's really funny. I have like one page that's just like a like this like notion module. I was writing this like interesting package for for Svelte that allowed you to use Notion as a CMS for Svelte. Okay. Just because I thought that would be neat. It's not great. But so I just have like little pages all around the site that are like kind of funny like that. And yeah, so the site's built in Sapper and uh, I just do a lot of like fun little things on it. But it can give you an idea if you look at like just like the network tab, just how little code I'm shipping for it. So Wow, that's amazing. And I like the idea of like, I guess your, your bread and butter, like your business is built on training and teaching people and doing those videos. But the fact that you leverage real life projects, well, I don't know how real life scotttolinsky.com is or how extensive it is, but the fact that you're you're leveraging that to sort of advance the stuff that you can offer, I like that platform because I, I talk to a lot of new developers and they always have like the the hard problem of trying to learn consistently, but also keep your job as well. And I find like having that 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 playground to sort of like do stuff, but it's not going to be a big deal if you break 
like the rendering on your totally. page on scottwinsky.com right. like perhaps maybe you miss out on a day of hacker news but yeah yeah i ultimately don't care if uh the site sucks for any given particular reason or it looks bad on one page or something because that's really not what it's about for me uh you know who knows cuz i if somebody's going to look at that and say like you know, I don't want to hire this person because of X, Y, and these. If if I was like applying for jobs actively, yeah, sure, I'm going to tune it up and I'm going to hide some of that stuff. But at the end of the day, that's the the way you learn best is when you have those like sort of stakes in it. And in me particularly, I mean, I do that with level up tutorials too. Like, for instance, I have a bunch of animating courses, like animating React on level up tutorials, and and like all of the stuff I learned about animation, I did first on my site in actual real production code. So I learned like, okay, now here's how I, I do these real things so that way I can teach people real things, you know, stuff that you'd actually use. So do you just solve the problem and then do you like to sit back one day like on a Sunday and start thinking about what you learned that week or something? Is that how you make the videos? Or do you go to solve the problem with that in mind? It's interesting because I've never really let like to some degree, yes, I, I have like community involvement determine where I sort of teach things. But in another degree, I let my curiosity drive me. Like I checked out, let's say, Sapper and I, I, or I checked out Svelte and I thought Svelte looked cool. So just in my personal time, I start hacking away at scottolinsky.com and I, I think, oh, this is really cool. And then once I get to a certain point, I say, whoa, hey, uh, this is cool enough for me to make a tutorial series on it. And as I'm doing it, I just take notes and build the tutorial series out that way. And like I said, I have like a huge list of like a repository of things I want to teach. Like the things that could become full-on tutorial series. Things are just like in my brain space. And then if I spend enough time on them and I'm feeling very comfortable on it, I just hash out that course right then and there. So a lot of times I'm just like cataloging things as I learn them. Things that could potentially become courses later or things that I may become interested in. And then once I really uh, sit down and learn something, I typically like take notes. And like I've been doing these tutorial series for so long, I kind of know like how much can go in each particular video. Yeah. So if I have a course, like right now, I have a potential course on animating Svelte, right? To keep it in line with Sapper, right? So I have a course on animating Svelte. In scottolinsky.com, I have animated page transitions. Okay, now that's a video. I have the basic built-in animations. I have the custom animations that come built into Svelte. I have, you know, spring-based animations. I have whatever. So I can both use the docs as well as the stuff that I'm actually using uh, to hash it out and sort of create those topics until I flesh out a whole course. Yeah, I like I like hearing that too as well. It's validating for myself because though I don't make much videos, uh, I do write some blog posts. Mm-hmm. So I have like a, my my side project is open sourced, which uh, listeners have heard enough of that. But that project, I take PRs from that project and then I'll mm. map out a p- blog post. Cool. Because like with the commits and the PRs, you can see the evolution of how the code got to where it got there. So then you're able to reverse engineer, or at least I'm able to reverse engineer a blog post out of that. So then I do this other thing, which I doubt many people do because maybe not a lot of people using GitHub projects, but I use GitHub projects and take that pull request and put it into a project of like, this is like, I have like a, you can do a project on your profile. So like a profile-based project. Oh, and, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so it's like, it's same with orgs too as well. So you can have a project that spans the entire org. So mm. same thing with your profile. So I just create an, a profile or org level project and then I just link that PR there. And then whenever I get to it, I've got the content to be able to write a blog post for. Exactly. And I mean, I'm, I basically have the equivalent of a, a project, but it's like a giant Trello notion board. It's funny, I, I use GitHub projects for our code base and for code projects. And for some reason, 
I just keep everything that's not like code related in Notion, whether or not that's the best place to have it or not. But I hear it's a great product. I yeah. still, I'm, every time I open that thing, I'm just really confused on what to do next. Oh yeah, once you once you <laughs> like really get proficient with it, it's very nice. The only problem is performance. Sometimes it's it's a little sluggish once you get a big old database of stuff. But all right, well, I'll keep that in mind. You had mentioned animations quite a few times with Sapper, and I think. I followed up uh, after chatting with you through Twitter. I listened to like literally the next podcast episode that I, I was a little behind for syntax. So like the next one I listened to, you happened to mention animations and Zapper and how great they were. And like mm-hmm. uh, you basically just sold me on doing animation Zapper. So I actually did tinker and I with it um, a couple weekends ago. But can you explain more of like what the benefit is with the animations? Maybe even if you're able to compare a contrast to like something like React. Yeah, I think the best part about animating in Svelte overall is that Svelte has animations baked in, which it can do because it's compiled away, right? So like, you don't have to worry about bloating the bundle too much. Like with React, you can't ship animations into React Core because everything you add to React Core bloats the bundle. But since with Svelte, you can add things without having to worry about bloating that overall bundle. I mean, at least the the Svelte itself bundle because there's there's you're not shipping a bundle. It, it makes Wait, it, Can you explain more about that uh, with React and the bundling? So if you think about it, like you could do it through a React package that's like React animation or something. Yeah. But it, you couldn't put animations into core React without proper code splitting. Gotcha. Because then you'd be shipping that animation code to everybody that gets it, right? Okay. I mean, granted, code splitting, tree shaking, all that stuff would make it better, but not everybody has that in their pipeline. So the cool thing is, Animations are baked in. You don't have to comb through several different animation libraries. And, and honestly, the animation platform on React is excellent. You got Framer Motion, you got React Spring. Those are my two go-tos. I'm going to use either of those and I'm going to be happy. But there's still two different libraries. You still have to make a choice between them. Neither of them are owned by the React team. And because of that, there's always going to be a little bit of a disconnect there, right? Despite how awesome both of those libraries are. So with Svelte, you have it baked in. It's the way to do it. There's no additional libraries. There's nothing else. I mean, here's you go. Um, the coolest thing that I really like about the Svelte animations overall is that they make it really easy to just drop something in. So you can throw essentially a directive on a element just by saying, let me get pull up an example here. All you would have to do to do a basic fade transition on something is import fade from spelt forward slash transition. And then essentially on the div, you would just say transition colon fade. That's it. Like it doesn't get any easier than that. And it, yeah. it and that that will transition on mount or unmount. And the closest you can get to that with React is maybe, let's say, a frame or motion where you have to wrap everything in an animate presence, then you have your conditional, then you have your actual thing that's transitioning. So the amount of code that it takes to do a basic fade transition on mount and unmount in Svelte is just so much significantly smaller and easier to parse, easier to do. And not to mention, if you want to get crazy with it uh, and do your own custom animations beyond what they have, their basic ones, I think they they come with like fade, blur, fly, slide, scale, or draw. And in all of those, you can change the the delay or the duration, those kind of properties. There's also baked in spring animations and stuff too, in the same sort of way. But if you wanted to get crazy with it, you can also basically just pass in a function and that function allows you to manually set basically any property in and out that you want. 
works just basically the same way. The, the code that you need to do any sort of general transition is just super, super slick. In fact, in GitHub, I have my site, scottpolinsky.com. It's open source, it's on GitHub. But I have a, a transition for the entire route and it's a custom transition. So it's not even like the basic one. And it is very, very simple. So it sounds like very jQuery-esque. I know jQuery is like a little more, probably a little more complicated than that, where you have multiple versions to do things. But um, that's one thing I missed from jQuery is actually just being able to look it up really quickly. Oh yeah, add a one-word change and then make it work. I distinctly remember when I was working at Netlify and we were, I was trying to animate something on the, on the loading screen, and it was taking enough time that we were just like, let's just ship without it. Mind you, this is back in 2016, so the React world was a little less mature. Still mature, but less mature when it came to animations. But since then, I've always avoided animating anything on my on my React apps. Mm. If it's not CSS basic stuff that I, I can do like that, I just don't do it. I'm very into animating all sorts of stuff, especially I mean in React or Svelte or whatever, just because I like it so much. In terms of like, my dream is to be able to get like deeply nested React component unmounting animations. Like the problem with React is you can't tell like a nested component like let's say super nested component, you can't say, hey, delay the unmounting of the parent based on this one so you can animate it out. So you have to like start at the root and frame or motion makes it a little bit easier with this animate presence thing. And I really enjoy frame or motion in that regard. But man, uh, Svelte really makes it easy. One cool thing I really like about modern animating libraries, whether it is frame or motion or, or Svelte's baked in animation libraries, they finally bring back the golden animation, I call it. It's a stupid thing that jQuery did so easily that CSS can never do for some reason is just the basic accordion slide down that animating to height auto, animating yeah. from zero to height auto, for some reason is, I mean, there's a hacks to do it in CSS where you do overflow hidden, you do the max height thing, but like, yeah. come on, give this to me all day. That, that would be my one dream feature in CSS is a transition that allowed from zero to height auto. But these these ones make it really easy to do, especially, like like I said, even in React land, it, it's easy to do now, but it, it, for a long time it hasn't been. So I'm, I'm really happy with that state of things. Yeah, I feel you with the, also the CSS animation stuff where I feel like I have to, I'm, I'm doing like random wizardry and like things that I thought would be harder or easier, things that are easy or harder. Like I never know where to start and how I'm going to end when it comes to CSS type animations. Mm -hmm. uh, in particular, which is also why this is all timely for me, I've been working on some Twitch streaming. And uh, the actual, I'm not sure how familiar are Twitch and OBS, but each plugin is browser source, so meaning it's an HTML site. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, OBS is a, a beast. Yeah, I don't know if you're familiar with Jason Langsdorf. Most people are familiar. He's been on the podcast before, but um, yeah, definitely familiar with Jason. Yeah, he's been on Syntax actually. Awesome. Yeah, so he's like set the standard, at least for me that I've seen uh, when it came, comes to Twitch streaming. Mm -hmm. So I literally just copied what he did. But his his alerts, his browser sources are so complicated that I had to like I wanted to start from scratch so I could learn. So I, I, what I'm getting at is that I have a basic HTML site with just CSS and JavaScript. So I'm using Unpackage right now to pull in my JavaScript libraries, mm -hmm. and I wanted to I'm progressively enhancing my animations in my uh, my Twitch overlays purposely so I can learn it, but also I want to see if I can build something with just HTML and JavaScript. Cool. But the CSS part is the thing that that really I guess yucks my yum, uh, which is yeah. trying to figure out all that stuff from scratch and remember what I did five years ago. Yeah. So well, to give you a little bit of uh, context here, my initial career trajectory 
I felt like I was going to become a motion graphics editor. Like that's what I wanted to do. So I used to work for a magazine, Guitar World magazine. I did video editing and motion graphics for them. Well, do you play guitar? Not very well, but I come from a family of guitar playing people. My my dad played guitar his whole life. And my the reason I got that job in the first place is my uncle has been the editor of Guitar World since the 80s. He He isn't currently, but that was his job. So we were always getting you know, whether it is guitars or whatever shipped to our house. In fact, like when I started working there, it's like they basically hand you a guitar and, you know, an amp at your desk. And it's like, here, uh, just get your work done, but you can play guitar all day if you want, you know? So uh, it's funny because that's like what I did is I, I, I filmed various guitarists. I would come in and then I would watch their like lessons that I recorded and edited myself and then like learn from the lessons that I I was editing. So I would always sort of anticipated that my career trajectory was going to be motion graphics. So I, I come heavily from a background of animating things in and out and doing the sort of video stuff. Gotcha. And that's always been like a key component to what I like to do on the web is motion anything. And it's so much to the point where I've like really considered wanting to build some sort of like an After Effects light kind of thing where you could do basic motion graphics for video in the web. And I've actually done it several times where like I do, I record a video. I have a little intro to that video with a song, you know, a little jingle. I've like thought many times, it's like, could I just do this in HTML and CSS? And just like, that would be really easy to just swap out a couple of text variables, swap out an image or so. Zoop, the animation happens automatically. So that's one of those, those like rainy day projects that just sort of sit on. It's like, oh man, I, I bet I could do that. You know, and just have an alpha channel in there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, have you heard of the Haiku app? Haiku? Yes. No. So it's basically if you take After Effects and SVG animations. Yes. And that's essentially what it is. So really, you have it looks very much like After Effects or Premiere, but you have you just import your SVG and then you animate it through a GUI. Is this on Mac or is it a web app? Uh, it's a Mac app. It's definitely in the uh, the Mac App Store. I'll send it over. Cool. Yeah, I'll check this out. So right now what I do to do all my little animations, because uh, like I said, I, motion graphics, that was my jam. I was a, very much an After Effects head, but like, man, working with SVGs or vector or anything in After Effects doesn't, isn't good, or at least it wasn't last time I checked. So what I use is Principle for Mac, which is primarily a like an interactive prototyping app. So you, you'd import your Figma, which is what I use. So you'd import your Figma frame. And then it's primarily used to, you know, you click on this and this animation happens to do handoffs for here's how the animation should look. But he added the developer, because I requested this, I said, hey, this would be really great for like a After Effects Lite if you could export whatever. And he added 4K exporting to the app just on a whim. And so now I basically just use it as my my video motion graphics app, even though it's not you know intentionally made for that at all. It's, it's fantastic for it, though. I am probably going to do a deep dive later today. I've, this is something I've been working on for a bit. As I think most of us have made transitions to being at home all the time, like though I work from home. Mm-hmm. And also, side note, GitHub's kind of like the guitar world for guitarists. Uh, <laughs> GitHub's like the uh, for developers, where we can sort of this tinker with all these extra features that you can't see yet. Yeah, which is pretty awesome. I've been transitioning to doing more video, but just because I'm home more consistently, yeah. not traveling. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious, as far as Sapper goes, is there anything else that people should be aware of and considering choosing Sapper? Yeah, so I mean, like we mentioned, it is very like Next.js analogous, right? You have these server-side rendered applications, but you also have the API routes. And one thing I really like about Sapper is how they do 
their API routes. So if you need a server route that goes off and does some stuff, maybe it's serving a GraphQL API, or maybe it's just serving even like a markdown file or something like that. If you need a server-side rendered route, it actually goes directly in your routes folder, just like anything else, any other page. The only difference is, let me pop open mine here so we can can give some context. So like in my site, I have like, let's say posts, right? They're just markdown files. So if I want to collect those markdown files, maybe do a little bit of like uh, filtering, like if you hit a specific slug, you want to grab a specific markdown file or something like that. The only difference is that you have your Svelte files, which are basically your front end files. And then to create an API route file, you basically just create a .js file and it's expressed like where you just basically return whatever that data is going to be from the API. So let's say I had index.json.js inside of that folder. I can then take my route and just do that whole res, uh, write head, whatever you're sending along, whatever the data is, whatever the post is, whatever, just based on index.js. And then now the server is always going to send that out at that URL. So it's very, very simple. Uh, I'll post code. It's, it's always abstract to talk about code like this over, over the radio, but I'll post the link to my, my uh, repo here. What I really love is just how co-located everything is. Your, your API route is right there. Your the front-end code is right there. They talk to each other really easily. Everything you need is basically wrapped up inside of Sapper. And if you want to serve it as a, a server rendered app, that's cool. That works. It's easy. If you want to serve it as a, well, I mean, as like a node app. And then if you want to serve it as a statically generated site, yeah, you just run an export command and it spits out that HTML, CSS, and JavaScript for you nice and easy. So I really like it. It's a very simple platform. Also, one last thing about it, it's not necessarily Sapper specific, but more Svelte related. So there, you know, MDX, right? Yeah. For the, those of you who don't know, MDX is like Markdown with React components in it, right? So it makes it really easy to use your React components in a Markdown file. Well, there's a really great uh, MD Specs. MD Specs is basically the Markdown version of this made by Penguin, P-N-G-W-N. And it's so nice. It's just basically Svelte MDX. And between Spelt MDX and Sapper, you basically get a much simpler syntax to do everything. And for pers- like my personal site, the code couldn't be any easier. The stack couldn't be any simpler. The, the code it spits out is fast and small and tiny. Uh, I absolutely really, really adore the platform overall. Yeah, awesome. Uh, and a side note, uh, we had Chris Piscardi uh, on episode 57 of this podcast talking about MDX in, in, in great detail. So everybody go check that out and also follow Chris's blog as well. Yeah, but yeah, this is a uh, this has been quite educational. Um, um, thanks uh, for your level up tuts. <laughs> yeah, which uh, that's a I don't know why it's so hard to say today. Level up tuts. Technically, it's level up tutorials now because okay. uh, uh, someone had a some company that is going to go unnamed uh, had a problem with me using the word tuts in the title of my company, so I just agreed to change it. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Well, for the record, your background in level up tutorials uh, has really proven itself, and I feel educated on uh, Svelte. With that being said, I want to transition to picks. These are jam picks, things that you're jamming on. Could be music, food related, tech related. And if you don't mind, I'll go first because I've been trying to talk about this the entire time, but I keep alluding to it. Yeah, I got to look up mine anyway. Yeah, so I've been spending a lot of time on YouTube. Definitely pay for that YouTube account because. 
what do you call advertisements. There's so much stuff there. Yeah, they get annoying yeah. after a while. But I've started a YouTube series which is called Get Action Traction. And it's something I've been wanting to do for the past two months. Finally got some time, some bandwidth last weekend to record a couple, I guess, episode series. They'll be like two to five minutes long. But the whole thing is, uh, if you've never used GitHub Actions, uh, there's a lot of stuff out there, a lot of blog posts. There's a couple books now, too, as well. So I highly recommend checking out that series. It's just literally so you can just get your hands on the actions really quickly uh, and just take out all the fluff. But after talking to you, maybe I need to create a website and start <laughs> start transitioning to uh, my, my own proper site eventually once I get super huge. If you ever want to do any content for Level Up, we uh, we accept outside authors. That's uh, always oh, an option. You? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. It, it's, it's not widely advertised. We've had a couple of people do it. You know, Travis Nielsen, who did Dev Tips TV a long time ago, he, he did one. Car, uh, Spencer Carley, James Quick have done courses for us. And uh, it's typically all pretty highly curated because, uh, you know, typically I'm the one doing the course. So it has to be a good enough replacement for me, you know, so to say. <laughs> okay. Excellent. Well, I'll, I'll try to uh, study up on your, your cadence and yeah. uh, your flow. <laughs> And then I'll sound just like you. Exactly. Now I'm going to check that out. I love GitHub Actions. I've been really loving them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, I'm a big fan. I work for GitHub, so everybody knows that. But uh, I've been using them since V1. I got the opportunity. So I literally, I had, a, I had a, a child uh, two years ago, and wow, congrats! Thanks. And uh, during that time when I was out, they developed Actions. <laughs> so like, we get five months off of work. So like, from idea to conception. They shipped it, and I came back from paternal leave, and it was like, oh, we have this new feature. Would you like to try it out? I was like, I don't know what to do with this thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then eventually, I figured it out. But yeah, I've, Actions has really just followed my career at GitHub. But speaking of action, I wanted to also mention one YouTuber I've been watching uh, who's a bass player, speaking of guitars. His name's Davey504. This guy's Italian, and he has a very thick accent, and he like really like hams it on for the video. So like... Normally, you get bass players or guitarists put to YouTube and they just like watch them play, and that's about it. Like, hey, what's up? Like and subscribe. Uh, this guy's like, he's a character, and even if you don't like bass and you like YouTube, I think you'll you'll appreciate this guy because he just basically takes clips of other bass players and says that that's that's easy, and then he'll play it like with <laughs> deadpan, uh, and then he'll create some impossible bass lines. Which literally he did. He did a video where he's like he did the whole Fiverr thing, which I think it's getting popular on YouTube. We do a Fiverr video and go pay people to do something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he paid uh, like eight people to play this baseline, and he said sent a recording. He said this is an impossible baseline, and it's like easy part, hard part, and then impossible part, and like no one got it right. And then at the very end of the reveal, it ends up his like girlfriend walks up. And the plays the low notes, oh, which makes hey, it impossible because hey, hey, hey. it was literally two people uh, <laughs> playing the bass guitar. But uh, anyway, he's he's hilarious. I've just like got sucked into him uh, like, a couple weeks ago and like watched a ton of his videos. So definitely check that out. And then one last thing, Sindre Sorhas, he's an open sorcerer, popular from the um, awesome list stuff. He's also got some other open source projects and Mac apps. Uh, he created a project called GitHub Markdown CSS. Which literally puts CSS inside of your Markdown, oh. uh, which is kind of mind blowing. He kind of cheats a little bit because he's using an SVG, but that's besides the fact. I never even thought to do that, so definitely check that out because that came up in our conversations. So you can put CSS on your profile. Yeah, you can put CSS on your profile through an SVG because yeah. SVGs technically will take some CSS. Cool. So I have. Uh, I'll do a couple picks too. I'll do a base one. And then I'll do a, a non-based one. So my non-based one will be this GitHub repo that I found from Paul Henschel. He does um, React Spring, 
and React 3 Fiber and a whole bunch of really awesome projects. He uses this repo occasionally in his demos, and I think it's really nice for demos. This repo is called Nice Color Palettes, and it's basically just an array of really nice color palettes. So if you ever need, a, if you're doing a demo and you like don't want to go to color or color lovers or any of these things, you can just install this and just pick one. You can just even write a thing to pick one randomly, and it's going to give you a an array of five colors that are going to look nice together that you can just drop in your project, and it's just going to work. So I think this is a, a neat little project, and he uses this in a lot of demos. And sometimes when you're doing demos, it's you just end up defaulting to the same old colors here and there. So I, I think this is kind of neat. And then my bass-related uh, one will be a song from Wolfpack called Daddy. He got a Tesla, and uh, it is really super good. The bass work on it is fantastic. The bassist is Joey Dart. I, I went to school with these guys, with these uh, the Wolfpack guys. So my like best friend in the world did the mastering engineering on this thing. So I really love all of these musicians. Wolfpack, really just fantastic group overall. But uh, check this this song out specifically for the bass work. It is great. And uh, the bassist, Joey Dart, he does his own group. I think it's called the Fearless Flyers or, or something like that. It's very, very good. Yeah, and I realize off air, you had mentioned these guys. And I realize I do know them. Yeah. I've definitely definitely heard their stuff before. Yeah, so the, these guys are, are uh, a lot of them are, are graduates of the University of Michigan Performing Arts Technology Program that uh, I went to myself. Excellent. Well, yeah, appreciate the picks. I'm definitely going to go and probably going to deep dive in a lot of the CSS and some Sapper stuff. I actually have a live stream later today, so I'll probably just deep dive on that on the stream. Nice. Cool. But yeah, thanks for your time, Scott. Thanks for just educating me uh, about level up tutorials. And uh, listeners, keep spreading the jam. That's all the time we have for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders. 